If you know, you know. But what happens when you don't know? What do you do when it comes to navigating the most important areas of your life? In the City First series, If You Know, You Know, we'll learn how to apply God's wisdom to be in the know on how to win in life. All right, good morning, City First. How's everybody doing today? Come on, let me hear you. Put your hands together. Give me a shout, something like that, right? Well, it is good to have you here. There's no better place you could be than in church today, and I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to the City First Church family. Join us online right now at City First Anywhere locations, at Cape Coral, God Behind Bars, Dixon and Hardy, and also right here at the Spring Creek and State Line. One more time, put your hands together for everyone in the family joining us here today. Well, you know what? Speaking of family, um, we love celebrating birthdays and uh, special events in the DeWert family. Um, this is really Jen. Jen loves doing this. Every time there's a birthday, every time there's a special event, it's a big deal. And when it comes to birthdays, uh, when our two oldest boys were younger, we used to ask them this question. We used to ask them, what restaurant would you like to go to for your birthday dinner? Like, we will take you anywhere you want to go, in the Rockford area, in the State Line area, even in the burbs of Chicago. Because it is your birthday, we want to take you to a special place. Now, I'll tell you, if you don't live in the Midwest, if you're watching us right now from some other location, in the Midwest, we have some really great food. I'm going to tell you. I mean, like in, in the Chicago land, Rockford land area, I mean, there are steaks or deep dish pizza places. In fact, the best pizza in the world is from this region, all right? I realize if you're watching from New York right now, you're like, no, New York pizza. New York pizza. I'm telling you, Chicago deep dish pizza is the best in the entire world. We got great Italian food. We got great all kinds of ethnic foods. I'm telling you, it is amazing. Well, Jen and I would be a little excited about this whenever a boy's birthday would roll around because it means we get to go to the nice restaurants too. You know what I mean? And so we'd say, you could go anywhere, boys. Caden and Connor, where do you want to go? And they'd always say the same place when they were young. Always would say the same place. They wanted to go to the Golden Corral. <laughs> the Golden Corral. I mean, like, I'm like... What? I mean, you could go anywhere. You want to go to, the, and they'd be like, we want to go to the Golden Corral. So as a family, we would pick the Golden Corral, literally. I mean, we're like, are you sure? Are you sure? Yes, the Golden Corral. I'm like, wow, that is absolutely crazy. And so we would end up going to the Golden Corral. Now, as I read in the Old Testament in the book of Second Chronicles, God asks an Israeli king kind of the same question. Not exactly what restaurant do you want to go to, but this is what God asks a king by the name of Solomon. God says, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Like, it was like, whatever you want in life. Because you are a God-fearing man, God said to Solomon, I will give you whatever you want. I mean, now think about this. What would you say to that? To that question? I mean, some of us watching would maybe say, hey, I'll take $100 million. Some of us would say, make me famous. Some of us would say, I want to be successful. Some people would say, give me perfect health and a long life. Some people would say, make me a sports hero. None of those answers are necessarily bad. 
In fact, none of them are, are wrong, but it's kind of like saying you want to go to the Golden Corral compared to Solomon's response. This is what Solomon's response was. He said, give me the wisdom and knowledge, and he went on to say, to help me be a great person, a great leader, and to help your people. So in other words, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. That's a great answer. That's like saying, I want to go to Ruth Chris. I mean, that's like a Ruth Chris answer. That is not a golden corral answer. Does that make sense? And so it's really interesting because Solomon, we learn, becomes the wisest person to walk the face of the earth at his time. And he accumulates great wealth. He, he has a great business mind. There's, there's peace in the land. He's a king over Israel. It was probably the most prosperous season in Israel's history. And if you read in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, these are Solomon's writings. In fact, he wrote this book along with two other ghostwriters, and he wrote this book, all of his wisdom. Again, the wisest person on the face of the earth wrote this book. Why don't we read it more, right? And so he, what we're going to do in the next like month is we're going to actually dive into this book of Proverbs and we're going to pull out wisdom keys, you could say, from this book in the Old Testament and we're going to learn how to apply this wisdom to our lives in various places of our lives. Today we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about how to have wisdom for our family relationships. And let me just say, anyone who says they need a little bit more wisdom for family relationships, say a loud amen right now at all of our locations, right? Amen. I'm saying amen too because all of us need it. 100% of us need it, right? Everyone's on a path. Everyone in their life is going somewhere. And who you become tomorrow is a direct result of the decisions that you make today. In fact, someone said this, I don't even know who the author of this quote is, but you've probably heard it before, that you make your decisions and your deci decisions make you. So in other words, you're making decisions every day and then your decisions make your future. And again, if we understand how to have faith in Jesus and we are forgiven of our sins, we need to also understand that we can still make a mess of our lives. I want you to realize that. Because being a Christian or Christ follower doesn't automatically make you wise. You can be saved and you can be going to heaven someday, but still making really bad, unwise decisions on this side of eternity. And God knows that and he wants us to make wise decisions every single day. And so we do have to make wise decisions. Like what kind of a, of a woman or a man should I marry? What is the career path that I should take? How do I endure the hardships in my life that I cannot escape? How should I spend my money? What kind of close friends should I foster? And, and what kind of confidence should I, should I talk to on a daily basis or a monthly basis? Should I buy a house? Should I rent a house? Should I buy a dog or should I buy a cat? These are all decisions we have to make. Now, on that last one, it's pretty easy. You don't have to even read the Bible on that one, to be honest with you. I mean, if you want to be lonely and depressed the rest of your life, buy a cat. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> all you cat lovers are like, I don't like you anymore. I don't like you anymore. Hey, I'm just, I'm just being honest. I, I'm trying to give you wisdom is what I'm doing today. 
I don't have to remind anyone in the house today that life is full of a lot of decisions, some small, some medium, some large, and how we make these decisions determines our future, right? God knows that, so he points us to his word, and he gave us this amazing book called Proverbs that we can, we can figure out how to live rightly. But unfortunately, so many times, we go to the wrong sources for wisdom. Nowadays, if you, if you, are, you know, have a life-changing decision you have to make, a life-altering decision, you might be tempted to go to social media or your social network or ask maybe a group of friends what they think, right? I mean, have you ever asked people like online an opinion about something? Have you ever put it out there like, what do you guys think about who should be president? <laughs> or, or what do you guys think about, you know, and you fill in the blank. Have you ever asked a question like that? And wow, the answers you get. I, I call this when you reach out to social media for wisdom. I call this getting wisdom. All right, wisdom. Because wisdom is crowdsourcing popular cultural thought to make life-changing decisions putting it out there to random people or maybe your peers that maybe they don't walk with God or maybe they have, you know, maybe a new relationship with Jesus or whatever else. And you're like, hey, listen, I got this life-changing decision I need to make. What do you think, you know? And I'm not saying that you never ask other people for advice. I'm not saying you don't go to other people to gain godly wisdom, but it should be the right people, right? In fact, in, in ancient Israel, there were two categories of, of people, and, and, and there was this one category that, that was called the wise or the sages. These were people that had a proven track record of faithful service to God for decades. In fact, they had lived their lives and their lives reflected God's blessing. They had a good track record of giving good advice. And people would go to them, they would go to the wise or the sages to ask advice from. I mean, that's okay to do. It is good to ask godly people that have a track record. Like, these people had decades of faithfulness of serving God under their belt, you could say. But nowadays, we tend to listen to people, listen, who are the most convincing. And that is not the same as someone being wise. Someone who can be convincing, that doesn't mean that they're wise. All right? So we tend to look now at popular thought, and if it's popular, we think it is wise, but, but Godly wisdom may not be intuitive, but it's actually correct. And so in the book of Proverbs, we see some verses that point us in the direction of where we need to head. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, I know when I say the fear of the Lord, some of you are thinking of maybe, like, have you ever seen those old, old, old movie, like, posters from, like, the late 50s or the early 60s where the monster is there and there's, like, some woman on the cover of, of like, the poster going, ah, like that kind of a thing, all right? You know, you ever seen those before? We think that's the fear of the Lord. It's like we think the fear of the Lord is us looking at God going, ah, like that. That is not the fear of the Lord. That is not what the fear of the Lord is. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, we found out the fear of the Lord is to, quote, hate evil. 
So the fear of the Lord is to hate what God hates. And you know what he hates? Evil. And so that's the fear of the Lord. The second thing that's the fear of the Lord is a respect for God. In other words, we know our place. We aren't on the same playing field as God. He is much more powerful, much more awesome, much more wise than we are. We don't come close. So it's having a fear of the Lord is to say, I know my place, right? In layman's terms, we understand that God is in charge and his way of living is the right and the best way, whether we like it or not. In fact, we don't really know the right way to live as human beings because why? Sin has made us simple. I realize we don't like being called simple, but, but really sin has made us simple. It is, it, is, it is not given us a proper, accurate perspective on how to live. And so therefore, we must go to our creator and ask him how we should live. There was a man who uh, was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England, for almost 30 years. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's now passed away, but he wrote this. He said this, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there's a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There's only, uh, there's only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have a, some dim, glimmering conception of God. When we compare ourselves to the perfection and the awesomeness and the power of God, we then understand our deficiencies, right? So this is what I know, that the beginning of true knowledge and true wisdom is to compare who we are to who God is. And that gives us the fear of the Lord. In fact, with humility and hunger, we must seek true wisdom from God. That we come to our God and we say, God, with humility and with a hunger, I want to be better. I want to have true wisdom. It says in Proverbs 15, 24, wise people's lives get better and better. Turn to the person next to you and say, better and better. See, wise people's lives get better and better. They avoid whatever would cause their death, that verse goes on to say. So the book of Proverbs is where God speaks to us as, as kind of, you could say, almost a tone in this book as a life coach. He's like telling us, this is the best way to live. This is how you have true success. Now, it doesn't always point to rules, but rather it points to right thinking and right choices in this book. And so, in Proverbs 4, 7, it says this. This is the foundational verse, you could say, of our series. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Some of you are like going, I need to get wiser. Okay, this is how you get wiser. Pursue wisdom. Get after it. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. To the degree that you pursue godly wisdom, you will see true success in your life. So listen, baby, get after it. Get after it. Lightning is strikes, but, but wisdom doesn't strike you like lightning. So, so it isn't like all of a sudden you're going to wake up one day after you give your life to Jesus and you're like, wow, I'm wise. No, you got to get after it. So I will tell you this month, what I'm going to encourage you to do is I'm going to encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. Some of you are like, I've done it before. Yeah, but you need it again. 
Because here's the reason why. There's a lot of wisdom around us in this world. So therefore, we need to be constantly reminded of true wisdom. All right? So this month, this is the easiest thing to do. Proverbs has 31 chapters. In most months, or at least half of the months, there are 31 days, right? So this is the thing. All you got to do is whatever date it is, you read that chapter that day. It will take you 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes. But what you want to do is you want to meditate on it. You want to contemplate it. Don't just read it. Don't just tick the box. But like read the chapter and say, God, how does this apply to my life? Some chapters will probably resonate more than others. But if you spend every single day this month reading a book of, or a chapter, excuse me, in the book of Proverbs, you will find true wisdom. You know, I, I spent the majority of my time this morning trying to whet your appetite on seeking wisdom. But for the last few moments, I want to I talk about wisdom for families. And so the remaining moments we have together, I want you to take uh, copious notes. I want you to, to lean in because I'm going to give you some 30,000-foot principles on how to make your relationships in your family better, okay? These are wisdom keys out of the Bible. Many of them are found in the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 24, verse 3, it says this, A house is built by wisdom. Your house, your family, your tribe is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. So a house, meaning your tribe, is built over time. Do you hear that? You're not all of a sudden going to leave today after listening to this message or if you're in your living room right now when you click off the TV or your laptop or whatever you're watching it on. All of a sudden, this wisdom is not going to revolutionize your family. It is going to be built over time. It's going to become stronger, which means it's a process. It is hard to do family. It's hard to do family. Families come in all different shapes and sizes. Families are, are single. Families are married. Families are married with kids, um, single parents, divorced, divorced and remarried, widowed. There's all different shapes and sizes when it comes to families. And there are, by the way, no perfect families in the Bible. You've heard me talk about this over time. In fact, just even in February I said this, that there are no perfect families in the Bible. In fact, you look at like Moses. Moses was adopted into a family, listen to this, that was a different race and a different religious belief. Ruth, Ruth was a widow. And, and you know what? Lost her husband at a really, really young age and decided to continue to remain very close with her mother-in-law for the rest of her life. That was a family. Timothy in the New Testament, young man, guess what? His family was divided because his mom was a Jesus follower and his dad was a pagan and could care less about Christianity. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of what we now call the New Testament, at one point we believe he was married, but when he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior or his leader and his forgiver, that we don't hear about his wife from that point on, and we're almost wondering if his wife left him over his new faith. We don't know. You know, Peter, the Apostle Peter, right, who started the church, Jesus commissioned him to start the church, he was married, and we believe remained married for the rest of his life and had a, uh, a daughter with special needs. Isn't that wild? 
David in the Old Testament, probably the greatest king of the Old Testament, that if you talk to anybody um, of Jewish descent today, they would tell you that probably David is there like Abraham Lincoln, you could say. Um, he committed adultery with a next-door neighbor by the name of Bathsheba and ended up marrying her and having a son by the name of Solomon who became the wisest man on the face of the earth who wrote the book of Proverbs. <laughs> so you know what? That's a story of redemption, a family redeemed. Adam and Eve, well, we know that story, right? Adam and Eve had two sons, and uh, one of them killed the other one. <laughs> That's a tragic family situation. The first family, you could say. David, who, who uh, you know, in a sense, you know, was in the Old Testament and, and had this, this situation, he goes on to be called a, a man after God's own heart, which means that even in the biggest tragedy of your life and your family could be tragic, you still have a, a heart after God. Hannah, Hannah in the Old Testament dropped um, her son off at a temple to be raised. In so many ways, Sol or Samuel, excuse me, her son was, was given up for adoption. That was, that was their family. Now, let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Jesus, Jesus had a weird beginning because he was conceived out of wedlock. <laughs> Think about that. Because, again, it was the Holy Spirit that impregnated, impregnated Mary. And, and, and he was raised. Uh, eventually, Joseph and Mary got, got married, and, and he was raised. But after 12, we don't hear about Joseph at all, which means that most likely Joseph passed away somewhere after Jesus turned around 12 years old which means that Jesus was raised in a single parent home, our Savior. You see, families come in all different shapes and sizes, don't they? In fact, turn to the person right next to you and go, wow, my family's pretty normal. It's true. Family relationships can be super fragile. They can be very fragile. You live in a relationship of a family for quite some time, and then someone does something. Somebody says something. Another family member disappoints you. Someone marries someone you don't think they should. Right? Uh, you, you start, you know, like in this family, someone else doesn't meet your expectation. Your spouse hurts you. Your parents do something to disappoint you. Your kids break your heart. Something happens. And like that famous speech that Winston Churchill, during World War II, he was, he was, you know, a leader in the UK during World War II. He said this, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills. It sounds like a family vacation. That's what it sounds like. Right? That's Thanksgiving dinner right there. Right? And then you added all the pressures of life on top of the disappointments that happen relationally within your family, you add on financial pressures and health issues and unexpected tragedies and pandemics. Families are fragile. And I know this, that we can fight with or we can fight for our families, our choice. Our choice. And my encouragement to you today is that you fight for your family, that you fight for that relationship because it's fragile. So in a very brief way, I, I love, I love like things that are succinct that I can remember. And today I'm going to give you something so succinct that you can remember. There are three points that I'm going to just hit on bang, 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 all right? And it is going to be a remembrance for many of us back into elementary school when we were taught if you caught on fire that you were to stop, drop, and roll. Stop, 
drop and roll. Now, I don't even know if they teach this anymore in elementary. I don't know if people were like catching fire frequently back in my day. I don't know what it was, but today, stop, drop, and roll. All right? Number one, when it comes to family, stop. Stop trying to be right all the time. Oh, I'm going to tell you, 50% of family friction will be eliminated if people just stop trying to be right all the time. Because so many times we hide behind our rightness and it keeps us from reconciliation. Oh, we're right. We're right about that situation. We're right about that choice that other family member made. We are right, and we're arguing about it, and it's the elephant in the room. It's the thing that comes up at the dinner table or at Thanksgiving dinner or whatever else. We are right, but here's the reality. No one cares. We're right, but no one's listening to you anymore. You're right. You are right, but everybody's moved on. Does that make sense? And here's the thing. When it comes to family, many times you have to choose humility or you choose regret. It's one or the other. And sometimes you just say, I'm going to choose to not have to be right because I'm choosing relationship over rightness. That's huge. So we have to stop being right. I remember uh, many years ago, a lady came up to me after a service, and, and she was an adult, and she said, hey, listen, I really want you, I'd like to give you the phone number of my mother, and I would like for you to call her, because we are having this disagreement, and I want you to tell her what you think, because I think what you think is what I think, she said. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> well, later on, I found out she, um, she had not spoken to her mom for 15 years because of a disagreement that she felt she was right and she wanted to win. And so 15 years later, she hasn't spoken to her mom, but all of a sudden she thinks that Jeremy's gonna come in with a red cape and all of a sudden going to put her mom in her place. And I said, oh, no, 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 I go, I, I can't, I cannot get involved in this. You have not spoken with your mom for 15 years. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need counseling. That's what you need. You need, you need, you and your mom need to go into some sort of an intensive. There needs to be reconciliation. And both of you need to quit trying to be right. Because this is the thing. We need to be okay with not winning all the time. Because we may win that battle and then we lose the war, right? Kids, how would your relationships be with your parents if you weren't always trying to be right? Parents, what would your relationship be with your kids if you weren't always trying to be right? Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, siblings, what, what would it be like if you always didn't have to win? Does that make sense? Because reconciliation, listen, is not justifying your position in the mind of the other person. And it doesn't mean that you're always understood. It isn't even convincing the other pe person that they're wrong. Reconciliation does not mean that everything returns back to normal before the incident, whatever the incident was. But at least there's potential for progress. You see, reconciliation paves the way to relationship, which paves the way to influence. You see, see, you can be at odds and have no influence. Or you can choose reconciliation and actually have influence. 
Listen, remember Jesus sought relationship before we acknowledged that we were wrong. Let that sink in. Do you then have to seek relationship before the other person acknowledges that they're wrong? That's what Jesus did, and Jesus goes, y'all be like me. Now, he didn't say it that way. That's what he was saying, though. Drop. So there's stop. Now drop, drop, drop the offense. Drop the offense. Stop trying to be right all the time and drop the offense. You can carry bitterness or you can carry joy. You can't carry both at the same time. So this is the thing. You can choose to forgive and choose to forgive often. In fact, there is this author of a great book. If you've ever been through what I would call a a pretty substantial tragedy or hardship or heartache, um, there's a book called uh, Forgiving the Unforgivable. And, and honestly, it is a, uh, a really good book. Uh, it, is, it is for those that have been uh, through very painful circumstances. The guy uh, who authored it is David Stoop, and he wrote this. He said, forgiving other people does not in any way benefit or let them off the hook. Full stop, period. Let that sink in for a moment. Some of you are I'm like, I'm not going to forgive because it's going to let them off the hook. No, that's not what forgiving is. In fact, it allows us to cancel the debt they owe us, which in all probability they can never pay anyway. We are the ones who are freed from the expectation of restitution for the wrongs done to us. In other words, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the prison of bitterness that you're trapped in right now. In other words, it sets the captive free and you're the captive. Now, we don't, we don't look at forgiveness that way. We think forgiveness is like, you know, cleaning the slate for the other person, and they get off scot-free. No, no, it is actually making you free. It's actually giving you freedom, because keeping score only makes you the loser. All right? You see, forgiveness is rarely a feeling. It is most often, 99.9% .9 of the time, a choice of the will. And when you forgive, you actually free yourself. I have a whole bunch of sermons on forgiveness. If you go to our app, you go to our website, you can go into the archives of the sermons. And there's one called um, My Bucket List, by the way. I think it's either My Bucket List or The Bucket List. And that one, I go into a whole sermon on forgiveness. So I don't have time to like dive into this because that's a touchy subject and it's a very important subject. But, but listen, you could go back and listen to some of those, those messages and learn more about it. But I got to get to point three because I'm almost out of time, all right? Stop, drop, last one, roll. What's roll? Well, roll up your sleeves and get to work. When it comes to family, roll up your sleeves and get to work. In fact, great families don't just happen. Everybody works. Sometimes certain people work harder than others in the moment. It reminds me of the story about this, uh, of a sick husband who, um, had to go to the doctor because the husband was having all kinds of complications and was diagnosed with a rare form of anemia. In other words, his, his immune system was very much compromised. And, and so the doctor examined him and then called his wife into the office and said, hey, I got some good news and I got some bad news. First, the bad news, he has this anemia. The good news is that he can reverse this. His body can recover, but this is what's going to re require of you. 
you as his wife, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to cook him three square meals a day. And I mean, it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, for, for breakfast, fix hot breakfast, pancakes, eggs, and bacon, the works. And then, and then at, you know, like um, at lunch, get him a good lunch and, and, and make sure at night, you know, make him an old-fashioned like pot roast and like, you know, steak and, and like turkey and like chicken parmesan. And just, I mean, because he loves to eat, it will help him psychologically too to feel better. It's just, you got to cook him three meals a day. And it's going to be for probably months that you're going to have to do this. And then on top of that, on top of that, you know what? The, the house has to be perfectly clean because, again, you know, it has to be sanitized because his immune system is compromised. And so, therefore, you know what? You got to, like, clean the house every single day. Do you have any questions about this? And the wife just stood there and shook her head goes, no, no. And so he goes, okay, do you want me to break it to your husband or do you want to break it to him? And he goes, she goes, I'll, I'll tell him. So she walks into the room, and, and her husband sees her face and, and looks at her and goes, oh, this is bad, isn't it? And she nodded. And uh, at that point, her husband said, well, what did the doctor say? And the wife goes, looks like you're probably going to die. <laughs> Obviously a funny story, <laughs> probably a fictional story, but this is the thing. The goal of that story is to say this, is that everyone has to put in a lot of effort to make family work. And sometimes, some of us have to put in more effort than others in certain seasons. And guess what? It's not fair. Some of you are like, doing, I'm doing all the work right now. You're saying, I'm doing all the work right now. I know. I know. And it's not fair. And to those in the house that are doing less work, maybe it's time also that you like shoulder the responsibility a little bit more today. But all of us will find seasons that we have to work really hard. And it says in Proverbs 16.3, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. So if you commit to family, your plans will succeed eventually. You got to commit though. You got to be all in. So stop trying to always be right. Drop the offense and roll up your sleeves and get to work. I want to end today by praying for you. All right? And I want to pray for every family represented. There's some families in here that are single. You're a single person. You're like going, man, this feels like a small family. Hey, listen, this is a, this is a purposeful season of your life. This is something that God is in this. And, and, and you know what? I'm, I, I want to pray that blessing comes upon you. Married, boy, I tell you, a lot of times you get married and it's like, oh, God, we need you, right? So I'm going to pray a blessing upon that. Married with kids, at that point, it's like, oh, God, we need you divorced, definitely been a lot of hurt, a lot of pain there. You know what? God needs to be in the middle of that. And yes, you do have a future. Your purpose is not now aborted out. God has a purpose for you because he will always take pain and he won't waste that pain. He'll turn it around for good. He'll make a purpose out of it. How about single parents? Well, first of all, if you're a single parent, either in the room today or one of our rooms or watching online, you're, you're a hero. Can I tell you that? You are. You're, you're juggling so many things. And I want to pray for you too, but let me just say this. You can do this. God's going to give you strength. And I realize you feel overwhelmed. You feel like, you know, the water is starting to increase and going up and you're just like, I don't know if I can do this. I want to tell you, you can do this. You can do this. God and you. And we're going to pray strength for you. Those of you that are 
remarried and you're bringing history from two separate families into a new family, a blended family. You're like, man, this is complex. I'm gonna ask that God gives you wisdom. Lastly, for those of you that are widowed, and I know that's a very difficult season to be in because there are some friends of mine that are in that season. And, and you know what? Um, the biggest thing I hear from people in that season is, do I have purpose left? Because it was always shared purpose with someone else and now they're not here. And I want you to know, as long as you have breath, God has a purpose for you. Do you understand that? And that today I want you to just be, I want you to be invigorated. I want life to come into you. And I, I want God to be close to you in the midst of a, a sorrowful season. But also at the same time, I want you to realize that this could be a season of vision for your life and purpose. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for all these families. Lord, there are no perfect families. But Lord, there's families that can have you perfectly right in the middle. And I ask that you would just bless each and every family represented here under the sound of my voice. God, we ask your presence would be there. Lord, I pray protection around them right now. I pray that you would surround them with your presence and that, Lord, as the enemy would try to tear apart that family, I pray that his plans would be thwarted in the name of Jesus. I pray that, Lord, there would be wisdom in these families. That, Lord, there would be work to roll up our sleeves and to work hard at something that's precious because at the end of the day Lord God when we're born our family is there and when we pass our family is there and everybody in between is important but not as important as those that are at the bookends of our lives so Lord we need wisdom we need wisdom God I also pray a blessing of favor would be upon these families May you help them to thrive in their relationships, in their careers, in their child rearing, in their marriages. Lord, I pray that there would be a thriving as an attribute of these families. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that?